Suncast is brought to you by SunGrow, providing clean power for all. Suncast is also brought to you by Trina Solar. Hey there, Solar Warriors. I'm Nico Johnson, and this is Suncast. Each week, I pull back the veil on the life and business insights of clean tech entrepreneurs building the most noble and impactful companies of our time. I hope what you learn from this conversation is a catalyst for your own growth. So thanks for tuning in and welcome to our tribe. Hey, welcome Solar Warriors. Thank you so much for lending me your ears. And of course, the only non-renewable resource that you've got, that's your time. Wherever you are, whatever you're doing, I am grateful that you're choosing now to tune in to Suncast. And if you're new here, I'm certain that you've tuned in to one of the most valuable episodes of our entire repertoire. And you're going to see why if you stick around with us today. Our entrepreneur today is no stranger to the nexus of media, banking, distributed energy, and high growth startups. Michelle McGee has launched and scaled seven businesses. And over the course of her career, she's led teams as large as 1,400 people, assisted in the acquisition of four companies from 20 million to 2.6 billion with a B and has advised or held senior leadership positions at small companies you might recognize like Lone Pal, which now has a new name, Solar City, CBS Radio, and Tesla. Michelle's currently the president at Give Power Foundation, where she's once again leading the charge toward a more sustainable future for millions of people around the world. Today, you're going to learn why this is where she's planted her flag after an unbelievably remarkable career. A hat tip to our mutual friend and podcaster, Julia Piper, for making the connection for me with Michelle. I am forever indebted to you, my friend. If you like what you hear today, I hope that you'll subscribe to the show as that is how you'll know when our next episode comes out. We have twice weekly content just like this. And of course, you can go check out nearly 400 additional founder stories and startup advice at mysuncast.com. If you do have insight or advice, as many of you do, on who you think should be featured on Suncast, why don't you shoot me a text? That number is 310-634-1780. Yep, that's right. A good old-fashioned SMS. I promise you'll get a response, and I'm super grateful that you've tuned in. For now, let's get ready to tune up your skills, Solar Warrior, as we tune into another powerful conversation here on Suncast. Well, as I said a moment ago, Michelle McGee is the president of the Give Power Foundation. She also has one of the most inspirational entrepreneur stories I've heard. And truly, she is a serial entrepreneur and one who seems to fall up in her endeavors. Her focus today is on deploying solar-powered solutions for those in need around the globe. And it's helped Give Power recently earn honors for their solar water farm technology, Fast Company's World Changing Idea Awards, as well as first prize in the Mohammed bin Rashid Al Maktoum Global Water Awards in 2020. Michelle, I am super excited today to have you on Suncast. Ah, uh, Nico, thank you so much for the invitation. I've been looking forward to it. Thanks. You know what else I'm excited about? I actually, with no rehearsal, said the Muhammad bin Rashid on a first get without having to re-record. <laughs> that was amazing because it's a tough one to get out. Great it, job, it, Nico. I know. I was, I'm in the flow with you today, Michelle. I'm looking forward to this. I really am. So thanks for giving me that energy as well. The Solar Tribe here, the Suncast Tribe, is really excited, I know, to hear your story and to hear more about how we can partner with Give Power. But Michelle, we're going to go back a lot further to the past than just Give Power and, and uh, Lone Pal. I'm curious about little girl Michelle, the dreams that she had. Can you tell me a bit about who some of your early heroes were growing up? You know, Nico, I was super lucky to be born into a family with phenomenal parents. And I know everybody on the call may not have had that good fortune, but my folks have always been my biggest heroes. Each one of them just taught me invaluable lessons that have just paid off in spades throughout my life. And my dad was a professor of music at the University of the Pacific for 42 years. 
And so I grew up in a household with a, you know, made to order teacher. And I think the biggest lesson that I took from my dad was, you know, literally he is 85 years old today. He does the insanity workout video every single morning. Um, He's just a guy who believes in good habits, but I have never in my life heard my dad tell a lie. Not a single time. That is certainly something that was instilled in me as a child to just be honest in everything I did. And I think that has been really, really valuable in the way I've tried to live my life. My mom was a real estate agent for new home construction. And so I got exposed to salesmanship and the energy that it requires. And so having that additional role model within my household also ended up being really important important within my own development. Um, my mom had a saying that if it's worth doing, it's worth doing well. Mm-hmm. And there again, that is just something that I have taken with me throughout my life that uh, if I'm going to put my energy into something, I'm going to give it my all to make sure that it's as awesome as it can possibly be. That's fantastic. What did your dad teach at U of P? He is a woodwinds professor, so he was a saxophone player and uh, focused mainly on classical music, but as I was growing up, played in the backup bands for lots of tours that were coming through town, which is really pretty cool. (laughs) Yeah, That's a lot. What was dinner like around the table for you guys as a kid with an eclectic family background like that? I think, you know, more often times than not, my dad would bring brain teasers to the conversation. Mm -hmm. And so we used to do one minute mysteries, even as just little, little kids. And, you know, he would tell a fun story about a murder mystery and we had to figure out who did it at the dinner table. (laughs) So there was always kind of a mental challenge within the conversation. I have very fond memories of that. So one of the things when I look back over a career path, I like to kind of look at the forks in the road or the impetus that will take one from a current path to a different trajectory. Clearly, one of the sort of largest tranches of work that you did was in radio. You spent a lot of time in radio. You have great experience in radio. And in fact, as we'll discuss, it's one of the reasons that you ended up getting into the renewables industry. But what was the impetus to get into radio. You were in marketing of a different kind uh, prior to radio. That's right. I came out of college and I kind of worked my way through college as an assistant marketing director for a group of shopping centers. And when I graduated, I was really fortunate to be offered a marketing director position over a million square foot mall in Sacramento. I have since told young people that I've had the opportunity to mentor. That was such an awesome job for me because it exposed me to all facets of marketing. And so for young people who are just entering the workforce. I just so encourage them to look for opportunities where they're going to get great exposure to a lot of different things versus focusing on the paycheck. Anyhow, so I started in mall marketing and I was about a year and a half into that job and I got approached by Disneyland to host a three-day conversion of the mall into lots of stages and costume characters and so on and basically create Disneyland within the mall. We worked exclusively with one radio station in promoting that event. And it turned out, Nico, it was a marketing director's blessing, dream, and nightmare at the same time in that literally the mall was over capacity for that entire three days. And the fire marshal kept coming in and saying, I'm going to shut down the mall and make everybody vacate and so on. And I remember at the end of that promotion thinking, wow, if one radio station can drive that kind of response from a community, I want to learn more about that. And so, ironically, I got offered a sales position at the close of that promotion from that very radio station. And I had the opportunity to join them and um, start building that radio career. And you were in radio for uh, more, much more than a decade, right? Oh, yeah. 13 years, I think. Something like that. Yeah. What did the, your radio career, which predominantly, as I understand, was account management, business development, which I presume has to do with selling advertisement, advertisements on the radio station. Is that accurate? 
Yeah, I spent the first six years on the sales side of the business, and then the next seven years as a station manager over two radio stations for CBS. So in that capacity, I had the ability to work with on-air talent and, and promotions and the business department and so on. But that sales position, I think, is what you were asking about. And, and the value that I came away from that experience with was that I got to work with business owners in untold numbers of industries. And I I got a real appreciation for what it meant to put your hard-earned money into something like a radio campaign in hopes that it was going to drive a reaction. And I got a real sense for the responsibility that I had as a salesperson to make good recommendations to those business owners so that that investment paid off for them. It was humbling. And there were those times when campaigns didn't work the way that you expected them to. And so that was important for me to really understand the responsibility of of trying to guide leaders. Something else that's fascinating for me in the previous conversations that we had, and for those who are just complete geeks, I have a whole separate conversation where Michelle does an unrivaled explanation of her career trajectory from beginning to end that I'll definitely have to share with our our insider group here. Uh, But one of the things that fascinates me about the conversation is how you seem to have an inexhaustible amount of energy to such extent that you started not one, but two companies while you had a full-time job at radio. (laughs) Yes, I did. (laughs) (laughs) Can you tell me about that, about that experience? Not only did you do that, but you started with your husband. How did you manage to accomplish that? And I I don't know, you know, I don't know anything about your family structure, but I'm just amazed that can be uh, sort of a hard charging uh, corporate executive in, in most, in, in most regards there and still managed to not start just one, but two companies over a decade while you were, while you're managing your, your career. I look back at my younger self and I am so grateful for the energy that she had. My husband, when we met, was managing a group of retail stores, tuxedo rental stores of all things. And it was his dream to one day own those stores. And so there was an exit strategy sort of in place for an owner of those franchises in the Sacramento region where he would take over those stores. And so I think I was 26, you know, something like that when we bought our first two stores from that franchisee. And we ended up growing it up into five locations over six years. Uh, My husband primarily ran the day-to-day, but then after the kids were to bed and everyone was fed and taken care of, I would start working on that business at about 10 o'clock at night and generally work until one or two in the morning, sleep for four hours, get up and then go do my radio job. About two years into owning those businesses, I saw another opportunity within radio to produce, of all things, country music magazines that would support radio station audiences. And so I started a magazine publishing company and I produced magazines for San Francisco, Sacramento, and Seattle radio stations that they distributed out to their listenership. And so I would work on that during those, you know, late night hours as well, but still yeah, I kept my radio job going at the same time. Uh, what a story. I feel like I could probably ask a hundred questions there just about how, like selfishly, how you and your husband work together. But if there was one thing in that, maybe in that time where you ran the tuxedo stores and the publishing and had a full-time job that for you, as you reflect back, was a guiding principle that helped you and your husband work well together, what would that be? Because I can tell you, my wife and I desperately need to hear it. <laughs> <laughs> You know what? And this is another one of those truths that I think applies in a lot of different scenarios. Know your strengths and be respectful of your partner's strengths and stay in your lanes. When we did well in running the business together, it's when we adhered to those tenants. And so there were times when we would discuss things like scheduling staff in the stores and things, which was in his area of expertise. And I might've had a strong opinion, but I recognized that I had to maybe voice that opinion, but stand down and let him make the choice. And that really helped. I'm going to switch gears here a minute. So while you are helping local businesses, predominantly in the Northern California, Sacramento area, as your day job in radio, you come across entrepreneurs in all walks of life, all stages of growth. Uh, I would imagine that you find businesses that are hurting, uh, businesses that are thriving. 
and you came across in particular company that in many ways changed your life and many others. How did you meet Hayes Bernard? (laughs) I was actually escorting a group of clients on a weekend getaway to Napa. And I had this young entrepreneur that had just started a mortgage company that was joining the group. I had not met him. And I remember standing in the lobby at Meadowood in Napa as Hayes and his gorgeous wife, Jessica, came walking into the lobby. And it was literally the last day of their honeymoon. And I had the opportunity to to greet them and we you know, got to spend a few minutes together over the next couple of days. But on the last night of that trip, uh, we ended up having a really good discussion just around radio strategy. And he asked really, really good questions. Um, So that was my first meeting with Hayes. You know, having been in the industry around the time that you're talking about, Growing my own solar company and then working for others. Uh, you know, I was working with, uh, believe it or not, SPI and Todd Lindstrom, like folks that you uh, later began you know, worked with quite a quite a bit. Um, I was watching this company, Paramount Equity Mortgage, um, as it tiptoed into the solar industry. What did you observe about about Hayes and the company they were building that began to call your attention, or or was there a moment in time where you began to realize like, hmm, this is something that's different. This is a moving from uh, marketing malls to radio moment in my life. Yeah, you bet. I had met this beautiful young couple. We'd had this interesting conversation. And about six months later, I remember looking at the billing on my radio stations and who our largest clients were. And Paramount Equity Mortgage was one of those largest clients. And I, I got thinking, ah, you know, we're, we've got a lot of credit extended to Hayes. Maybe it's a good time for us to get together and chat kind of catch up, make sure that the company is healthy and so on. And so Hayes and I went to lunch. I just expected it to be sort of a typical client lunch. And three hours later, he had talked me into leaving that 13-year career to go start companies with him. Uh, You know, people in the broadcast industry thought I'd absolutely lost my mind that I would walk away from that career to go join a startup it happened for one reason, Nico, and it was it was the question that Hayes asked me at the very end of those three hours. And he said, what would you have to have accomplished uh, within your career in order for you to feel as if you spent your time wisely? And, you know, again, going back to childhood, I was kind of taught that whatever gifts we were given were meant to be shared, uh, particularly with those that weren't as fortunate as we are. And so I had found a way in in that tuxedo business, in my publishing business, in my radio career to integrate philanthropy into the way I spent my time. And so I said to Hayes, I don't know where this came from, but as a little kid, I have, I always wanted to um, work in Africa. And if I have the opportunity by the end of my career to make an impact in impoverished villages in Africa, I will have felt like I spent my time wisely. And, and that answer sort of started a conversation between the two of us about our whys and what was really important to him. You know, for those on the, on the call that have had any exposure to Hayes, he was raised by a single mom. He's very, very passionate about helping hardworking families save money. And so he had started that mortgage company with the idea that mortgages were the biggest bill in any family's budget. And if he could save people money on that bill, that would be meaningful. But it was never going to be the, the last sort of company that he wanted to start. And so we really vibed on that, like helping others. And, and so that was a big part of why I made the transition out of radio to join Hayes uh, and the other two founders, Matt and Jason, to grow that mortgage company, but also to find other ways that we could save hardworking people money on their everyday bills. Since you've spent so much time with Hayes and and you've been a part of multiple iterations of businesses therein. When you think back to that meeting, what do you acknowledge or or think that he saw in you that made him invest that time into insisting that you join Paramount? You know, I can only guess, but I think from a 
from a practical perspective, I was coming out of a big corporate environment and had the benefit of learning, you know, HR law and the importance of process and how to develop it and efficiencies and so on and so forth. So there was a practical element to my skill set that might have been attractive to Paramount Equity Mortgage at that stage of its evolution. But I would like to believe that it was a connection more on a heart level between us about what was important in life. And money never entered that conversation. It was very much about how do we improve the lives of others? And that is the thing that we connected on at that lunch. It's the thing that we have continued to connect on for the last 16 years. That's fantastic. I I hope to someday have Hayes on the show. Uh, he's just done some amazing things, including the the recent rebrand for for Lone Pal at Good Leap. And uh, I know that we'll talk a bit about uh, just the journey. Uh, I want to focus as well on Give Power. For those unfamiliar with the story, I'd like to sort of give you a broader stage here for a moment to just help tell the story of Paramount Equity Mortgage to Solar City to conversations that you all had with Lyndon. Sort of paint the picture for me of fulfilling multiple sort of stages of your career dreams and bringing, bringing us into sort of how you got into the solar energy business. So I I made that leap in 2005 and I joined the Paramount Equity Mortgage Team. Uh, We opened an insurance company about a year later. We grew from 45 employees when I joined to over 600 within two and a half years. It was just a rocket ship ride in that mortgage company. And then in 2007, as everyone recalls, the mortgage meltdown hit. And we recognized that it was time for us to diversify yet again. And so we started a solar company thinking this was another great place that we could save families money on their bills. That mortgage company, though, was the big entity at that time. And it was really struggling. You know, for those on the call, I, I really do believe you're you're not a true business person until you've had a near-death experience. <laughs> and, and we were going through that. It was really hard to navigate the 2007-2008 time. But Hayes and I used to set our New Year's resolutions together every year. New Year's 2008, we were sitting together and kind of talking about all of that. And out of the blue, he said to me, let's go build a school in Africa this year. And I I remember Nico just about falling off my chair. You know, here we were hanging on by our fingernails as, as business leaders and trying to keep the company afloat. And here he was suggesting that we raise money to go build a school. And I couldn't believe he even remembered that. You know, it was something that we had talked about almost three years earlier. And so we agreed to do that. And we went out to just friends and family and we asked them to contribute to a fund to build this school. And we ended up taking a group of our leadership team. And we went in November of 2008 and we built our first school in Mali, Africa. And as we were sitting in that village, I remember sitting in the pitch dark, you know, there was no light there. And we started having a conversation about how cool it would be if we made our solar company successful, wouldn't it be amazing if we could come back and put solar on that school and bring light to this village? Well, As time went by, that solar company grew very rapidly and did exceptionally well. The mortgage company also rebounded and continued to thrive. The insurance company did well. And in 2013, we had the opportunity to sell that solar entity to SolarCity. As part of the acquisition, Hayes and I moved to San Francisco and went to work for SolarCity. And one of the first things we did was invite Lyndon Rive, the founder and CEO of SolarCity, to go with us to Nicaragua to install a solar system on a village school. And Lyndon, just being the absolutely amazing man that he is, agreed to go with us. And we all traveled to Nicaragua. We slipped in the dirt. We swung hammers together and we built that very first solar system on a village school. By the time we left that village, Lyndon was so touched by the experience that he made a promise that for every megawatt of business that Solar City installed, that he would pay for a solar system to be built on a village school. 
And so between 2014 and 2016, just with SolarCity's support, we built over 1,500 solar systems on village schools around the world. So when Tesla bought SolarCity in 2016, um, that initiative was spun off into what is now Give Power. But I got to tell you guys, here we are in 2021, and now I have this amazing job being able to provide uh, electricity in the developing world. I tell my team every day, this is a dream come true in a very real way for me to be able to spend my time doing the work that I mentioned to Hayes all those years ago over that simple lunch in 2005. It's just crazy how life goes. Hey, I've got a quick question for you. Did you ever think, man, I wish I could just text Nico. I have a question for him. Hey, Nico, where is your favorite Thai restaurant in Durham? Hey, Nico, what are the flight prices to Mexico City right now? Hey, Nico, where are you going to be staying in New Orleans this year for North America Smart Energy Week? If any of those questions have occurred to you or some other thing that you'd like to chat with me about, why don't you text me at 310-634-1780. I'm running a little test to see if I can actually get you as a listener to respond. So there you go. That's my number, 310-634-1780. Shoot me a text message. I'd like to know if you're going to North America Smart Energy Week 2021 in New Orleans. I'm going to be there. So why don't you take this opportunity to text 310-634-1780 and let me know, Nico, I'm going. Or Nico, you're crazy. Why in the heck would I be in New Orleans? We're still in a pandemic. Either way, I love you, and I hope to see you there, and I hope that you'll text me. That number, again, is right there in your podcast player description if you click on it. Michelle, I love how you really did bring it full circle on how a conversation led to corporate initiatives and how, in fact, you know, the seed, the spark of inspiration that was planted in Linden has grown into not just give power, but into the, you know, the entire corporate process that goes back even to your radio roots of business development that give power leverages to bring water, fresh water and power to remote communities around the world. So let's plant our feet there for a moment and help others understand really the way that give power gives back the ways both on the on the ex, sort of external side where people are recipients what is it you're activating how are you helping these communities and then on the business side how are you helping channel opportunity for companies to be participating the way that solar city did in helping these communities around the world I'll tell you, Nico, I didn't know these statistics until I started working day to day within the Give Power organization. But today, there are nearly three and a half billion people on the planet that don't have consistent access to electricity. That's just a staggering number to me. And in addition to that, there are about one and a half billion people that don't have a consistent source of clean water accessible to them. To me, these are just basic human rights that everyone on the planet should have have access to. And so today, Give Power has continued that work that we started at Solar City. We have now deployed 2,497 solar systems on village schools around the world. We've also constructed 31 different microgrids in 23 different countries that power everything from conservation parks to medical clinics, fish hatcheries, lots and lots of different applications. And then we're really focused on deploying what we call solar water farm technology that we have created. Solar water farms basically utilize solar and battery power to desalinate seawater or brackish water, which is just a fancy word for inland salt water. With those systems, we're able to, you know, try to address the issues around electricity access and water access as well. So for a few, for the, for the technology geeks that are listening, let's talk a little bit about the technology. I love that you said that you guys have developed it. Is it packaged in a container? Like help those who can't see it, uh, which I would encourage everyone to go check out and we'll link to the Give Power Twitter account where they do put a lot of photos up because it can be hard to visualize what this work looks like. But could you help 
us understand like how's this solar plus batteries packaged and are you in partnership with others for the desal plants or, or how did how do you how did you put this technology together so desalination isn't new right it's been around for a long time the problem with desalination has traditionally been that it requires a lot of energy uh, you're in essence taking water that is full of salt and you're forcing it through a membrane that captures the salt on one side and pushes that clean water out the other side. And to do that, it takes a lot of power. So about three years ago, we took a team of engineers that started working on utilizing solar power and batteries in order to provide the energy required for that process. We have two different models uh, from a physical perspective. Uh, the first one we call our MAX. The MAX utilizes a 50 kilowatt array of solar panels. We attach it to 135 kilowatt hour battery system and then connect that to a desalination unit. And, and that technology all fits within a shipping container. Oh, wow. Like and a 40. So you got it. <laughs> So we have a manufacturing facility in Austin, Texas, where we assemble these shipping containers. We send them to the site that we have selected. And a max uh, will take us from beginning to end, once it hits the ground, about four months to build uh, on the oh, ground. That sounds a lot longer than I would have expected. We have to dig a well. We have uh -huh. to create the pipelines. There's, you know, various pump systems. You're actually, that have are to you be connecting built. every home? No, no, no. So all of the water is produced on site and then we sell that water to either people who walk up with what we, what are known in the developing world as jerry cans. They're generally 20 liter containers or we're um, selling that water to Makokateni who are guys in Kenya that push hand carts full of these jerry cans or donkey carts or tuk-tuks or big Bowser trucks. But it's all produced there on site and then distributed out through the community through a variety of, of channels. But those MAC systems will produce about 70,000 liters of clean water a day. Uh, the United Nations says that a human being needs two liters of clean water a day to stay healthy. And so a single system can produce enough water to support the needs of 35,000 people every single day. And because it's solar powered, it stays viable for 20 years. And so a single system can, can support the needs of those 35,000 people every single day for the next 20 years. It's pretty exciting technology. Well, Michelle, I think it begs the question, how as a nonprofit with limited resources, limited time and, and focus, do you decide where your tech goes? Yeah, it's the hardest part of my job, Nico, to look at communities that are so in need. And, we, you know, we run through a lot of criteria to make sure that our technology is the best solution for those communities. But sometimes we have to say no. And that that's a bummer. So with the MAC system, we're looking for peri-urban areas that don't have consistent water flowing through them, that don't have a healthy source that is available for them. And so in Haiti, for example, our MAC system is on an island called Laganov. I just had the opportunity to visit that system in November. And the head of the hospital told me that after six months of the system being up in operation, he was already seeing a decline in typhoid. It was music to my ears, right? Really, really, really cool. But one of the things that we noticed with the MAC systems is that we had a lot of other areas that were asking for our help and the system was just too big. And so based on that feedback, we developed our second model, which we call the Moby. The Moby is much smaller. It produces 6,000 liters of clean water a day. And it also needs to be located on a coastline like the Max to desalinate seawater. But as we started talking to more communities, we learned that there, you know, there are also needs that are inland for clean water. And so we developed our third version of the solar water farm, which we call the Moby Plus. The Moby Plus can actually desalinate brackish water inland. And so our product development has really come from feedback from need, from customers that needed a slightly different type of technology. And we've gone to work in, in serving that need. You know, I, I know that you've talked a lot about Africa, but there are, you know, drastic water and power needs all around the world from 
India to even closer to home in Latin America. I guess I'm curious, and I know that some of our audience can be curious about how you decide whether to serve, you know, rural communities in uh, Honduras or, or Colombia versus Africa versus Indonesia. Yeah, that was another really good lesson. We thought initially that we would just look for these communities that that needed water. And you're right, the need is just overwhelming worldwide. Uh, we learned very quickly, and I think this will resonate with your solar entrepreneurs, that there is great value in clustering your uh, projects in that then you have a, a resource for repairs and for maintenance and for management oversights and so on and so forth. And so today we are really focused on making a massive difference in Kenya specifically around their water issues. Uh, we had expected to continue to expand in Haiti. We've had to to put those plans on pause as the security risks have become really challenging there. And I would bet, Nico, by the time this uh, podcast airs, we will have our first Moby unit in the wild up and running in Colombia. And I'm really excited to continue to expand in Colombia as well. Oh, that's fascinating. Um, can you talk a bit about how Colombia was selected? I mean, you've talked about Haiti and Kenya, but uh, for sure, a lot of listeners are involved in and invested in the Latin America solar and uh, broader sort of humanitarian efforts. As most entrepreneurs know, the, one of the critical ingredients to success is people. And so we had done a fair amount of work in Colombia, and we have a team there on the ground um, already who had been deploying those microgrid projects and school projects. And so we, we knew the country, we had a good team in place. And so we started looking at the water needs in the country and they were dramatic. And so it just made sense that we continue to expand our efforts in that country. But, you know, before I forget the unanswered question, I think, or either I missed it or I didn't ask it is at what point was there a pivot from powering schools to providing water? Yeah, the, the leap was actually from powering schools to building microgrids. You know, as we were out and kind of doing the school projects, we started to see bigger opportunities to make impact with bigger systems. And so we kind of moved into microgrids. But as we were building those, we kept hearing the same issue around access to water. And so, again, you can kind of hear the theme, Nico, listen to your customers. They will point you in the right direction. As I mentioned, and we talked a lot, a fair amount in the beginning about your background, uh, I'm sure you're extrapolating a lot of learning from the work along the path as an entrepreneur, seven companies that you've worked in. Uh, you've had a great opportunity to begin pattern matching. What are some of the stumbling blocks that, through your experience, are always present for early fast growth companies? Oh, gosh, I... That's a tough question. There are so many challenges, which for me is what makes it fun. I think the biggest thing that I observe in the early, early startups is just how critical it is that the right team is in place. And I think it's the hardest part for an entrepreneur to be honest about their own gaps and to be as generous as they need to be in order to invite other people into the team that can help fill those gaps. When you say be generous, can you be specific? Do you mean like financially? I do. I, I've encountered a lot of entrepreneurs that try to hang on to all the equity themselves. And that makes it difficult for them when, when there isn't a lot of revenue for cash compensation to attract the kind of talent that they need in order to succeed. Yeah. And so I, I really applaud those that play the long game and understand that, you know, 100% of nothing is nothing. And so it's better to surround yourself with the people who can help create value in those early days. Is there a, a system like top grading or, or similar that, that you've come across that helps identify the right talent or yeah, what, what filters can you run through? Uh, yeah. So if you have to develop a superpower as a business person, I highly recommend learning how to recruit, interview and select talent extremely effectively. You know, if you can master that one skill, your job becomes infinitely easier. Yeah. And so can you restate it? Learn how to recruit? Learn how to recruit, interview, and select amazing talent. 
I've never heard anybody say that. <laughs> if you could develop, I'm going to start asking this question. If you had to develop one superpower as a business person, what would it be? That is a fascinating yeah. point of view. Um, yeah. And, and, I've, and I mean, look, I've asked a lot of similar questions on the show and I can concur. There's a reason why I come back often to who are the early few that make a big difference, right? Can you point to in, uh, in terms of like examples of like, wow, we made this higher. I bet Hayes would point to you, but we made a specific hire at a specific time and it propelled us five, 10 X what a normal hire would do. Oh, over and over again, Nico, every entity that I have had the pleasure of being a part of didn't become successful, frankly, because it had the perfect product. It became successful because it had a team that was unwilling to fail and just figured out solutions. You know, in my current organization, we're seeing a really interesting trend. We've opened up, I don't know, maybe half a dozen different positions over the last month. And the application pools are massive. I, we are seeing 200 to 250 applications within a week. And, and the reason is interesting. It's not because people are out of work. It's because people had maybe some extra time during COVID to reassess their values. And they're coming to organizations like ours because they want more purpose in their life. And so we've hired some really impressive people in the last couple of months because of that. Our country manager in Kenya was next in line to run Microsoft there. What? Um, Yep. Our huh. new vice president of global business ops was employee number seven at Amazon International and started Citibank Online. You yeah. know, I mean, we, we just have some phenomenal talent coming our way. Michelle, I, I hate to be um, like negative Nelly here, but most of the nonprofits I've come across can't afford to hire the next in line for Microsoft. How do you do it? They're willing to take really reasonable salary packages, Nico, because they want that purpose in their life. It's really inspiring. It's probably my most favorite part of my job uh, today is to be able to meet people who just really want to do great things with their lives. And they don't just say it but they put their time and energy and resources behind making it happen. Now, one of the other things uh, around this talent area is that you've had the chance to manage small teams and extremely large teams. I mentioned that you've managed a team of 1,400 people. What are some of the mindset shifts that you had to undertake to go from managing small teams to extremely large teams? I think one of the most challenging parts of uh, an organization's evolution to navigate is you know, growth and what that means to your org structure. A really wise person taught me once, um, you know, structure follows strategy, which means that you define your strategy, you take all the names off the org chart and you build an organization that makes sense to achieve that strategy. And in a startup environment, you don't necessarily know what your end strategy is going to be. It changes all the time. And because of that, your organization structure has to change regularly. And that can be hard on people to understand that what I was responsible for yesterday, I might not be responsible for tomorrow. And navigating that and, and allowing people the ability to focus on the things that they're really, really great at and helping them to feel good about that can be difficult. You know, at Solar City, I think when I joined the organization, we had about 5,500 people in the, in the company. And by the time I left, we had 15,000. And that was only two and a half years later. So it was, it was really, really fast. And we went through a lot of those growing pains of, of shifting responsibilities and rewriting job descriptions and so on. As a leader trying to navigate those changes, I had to learn how to let go and, and how to delegate effectively, which I would say is probably the second superpower to develop as an entrepreneur if you're going to grow something into a much bigger kind of organization. So the, the two things I heard were the first superpower is learn how to recruit, interview, and hire an excellent team. And then, uh, or re re probably it's, and, and cultivate after they're hired. But, and the second is to delegate well. Uh, I think they're both struggles. I've had struggles that I've seen most of my coaching clients have. So uh, that is wisdom right there from 
from a very experienced perspective and background. So Warriors, I hope that you're listening intently. Michelle, tell me something that's true for you, but that perhaps very few people agree with you on. Uh, I sincerely believe that there is a solution to every problem. I really do. And I think the process of getting to that solution is simply putting the right people in the right place with the right resources. Every problem solvable if you can just do that. And, And that has allowed me to, you know, take on really audacious goals throughout my career. We've talked a bit about some of the takeaways and lessons you've been very gracious and kind throughout to come back to and really highlight the, the first principles that have, been, have become apparent to you through your experience. Are there additional lessons or takeaways from the mentors or perhaps folks, other just inspirational leaders in your life or career that you'd like to impart? My all-time favorite business book is The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. It's I know it's old, but it just still rings so, so true for me. So things like seek first to understand, then to be understood, I really try to live by that. Uh, begin with the end in mind, you know, is, is another one of those, know where you're headed before you take that first step. I also had the opportunity years ago to go to a week-long retreat with Tony Robbins, which was just life-changing and amazing for me. But one of the things that really stuck was it was something he said around change. And, and basically, it was that the, the quality of your life is directly related to the amount of uncertainty that you can tolerate. That is such a theme for my life. You know, people have often asked me, how how have you worked in seven totally different industries? And I I think I've just allowed myself to be uncomfortable, you know, to be the dumbest person in the room, but to also recognize that I'm a quick learner and I can ask the right questions and, and to have that confidence that I will figure out whatever that new thing is that I've thrown myself into. And that's brought incredible richness to my life and helped me build a maybe unique skill set. Yeah. Do you remember the Tony Robbins was Unleash the Power Within or another? Uh, it was Date with Destiny. Ah, okay. It was the longer one. Fantastic. I have a couple of coaching clients who've gone through UPW and uh, and we actually had a guest who worked for 14 years with Tony Robbins in his leadership program. No way. Yeah, yeah. He's a, yeah. an amazing entrepreneur in uh, in Montana that's, that's doing some fantastic stuff as well. So, um, yeah. Yeah, I'm a big, I'm a big fan of uh, self-development and uh, I love Tony Robbins as well. So it's always fun to hear how He's influenced others. One of the areas where we've put a particular amount of attention at Suncast is both understanding myself as a white man uh, in the industry, as well as giving voice to uh, the need for better diversity and inclusion. You had an unparalleled opportunity that you thought was going to be a small little gathering inside of Solar City to have a conversation about inclusion. Tell me how women in power uh, evolved? Uh, so how it started and what it became? Uh, we had a big event in Las Vegas for all of our top performers. And there was a moment after the sort of opening um, speeches where a lot of people got up on the stage and it, it was a really powerful, inspirational moment. And I was standing at the back of the auditorium. I think we had about 2000 people present and, um, I was looking up at the stage and just recognizing that there weren't a lot of women up on that stage. And ironically, a few women started wandering to the back of the room and and were kind of pointing out to me that they were noticing that same thing. And so we got back from Las Vegas from that experience and I had the opportunity to kind of gather up a few of the other more senior female leaders in the company. And we started having a conversation about what we had observed. Long story short, we ended up determining that Solar City could benefit from an employee resource group. 
that really championed recruiting more women, mentoring more women within the organization, providing opportunities for them to network. And so I took that idea to the executive team and presented it. And again, Lyndon being the amazing guy that he is, uh, right away said, yes, absolutely. Uh, How can I support? And so we launched an internal organization that we called Women in Power. And I had the opportunity to chair that organization for two years. It was incredibly rewarding and, and a lot of surprises along the way, Nico. We, we had our very first meeting and I remember, you know, it was a webinar. We had people logging in from all over the country and I was hopeful somebody would show up. Uh, we ended up having over 1,500 of our employees what? log in to the, yep, that this is webinar. only Solar City, right? Only Solar City, yes. Uh, talk about interest in a topic. And the really surprising part was that about 20% of the people who logged in in that very first meeting were men. Whoa, wow. One and, in five. Can, wait, and just for time frame, what year was this? Uh, that would have been 2014. Golly, seven years ago. I mean, that's, that's, yeah. <laughs> that's remarkable. Yeah. Yeah. And it was the first of many, many lessons about how important it is to engage everyone if you want to see change occur. And so within even our board for Women in Power, we had men on the board. It was important that they were part of the conversation if we were going to exact real change. Michelle, you've had a lot of time to think about it. Why is diversity so important? So when you're addressing the world's big problems, you know, they're tough and, and they require a lot of different perspectives in order for us to find those elusive solutions. And so when you come from different walks of life and different backgrounds and upbringings and so on, I think you just get a much richer conversation around solutions. And that's important if we're really going to solve the big problems. That's, that's very powerful. The variety of perspectives enriches the conversation and helps provide, that's right. yeah, and helps give a solution that is more encompassing and itself is in, embodying more equity. Okay. I want to uh, ask a few questions in a moment about the Give Power sort of corporate program. Before I do that, I have a few questions around uh, that we call learning leadership and legacy. This is more about how, Michelle, you think about sort of staying sharp and uh, and feeding your mind and, and developing good habits. You mentioned the seven habits of highly effective people. It's one of my favorite books as well. Are there other books that you recommend or gift and, and what are their, what have been, been their impact on you? Uh, yeah. So I found a book many, many years ago as I was a young woman in business looking for a female mentor. And I found that very difficult to do. Uh, I found a book called Be Your Own Mentor. <laughs> and it was specifically written for women. I, I loved that book. It gave me insight in every chapter about women who had done things that were extraordinary within different industries. And they became my role models. So I still recommend that book uh, to young women in business. And is that Sheila Wellington? Do you know what? I'm not even sure who the author was. Okay. Yeah. It's, it's from Lime two, Green. From like 2001? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, it's Betty's. I'm, I'm finding here Betty Spence and Sheila Wellington. It's like a green border. It looks like a yes. little sticky note yeah, on the front. Yeah. Okay. You got it. Yeah. That is a really great suggestion. I haven't heard this book, Be Your Own Mentor, and I get a lot. I get into a lot of conversations around uh, mentorship. And I find that a lot of folks, in fact, listen to Suncast because they consider the guests on the show mentors, as you no doubt are mentoring you know, thousands today. Um, so thank you for that. Michelle, do you have a particular morning or evening routine that informs your consistency? Uh, well, it, it, this is a relatively new habit, actually. I get up every morning at 5.30 and I've sort of made it a rule for the first time in my life that I don't look at a screen for the first hour mm. of being a, awake. I, I read a book. Oh gosh, what was the name of it? Uh, Live Like a Monk. That's what it was. Something like that. Think Like a Monk. Something along those lines. And it recommend getting recommended getting up a little bit earlier. And so I started implementing that and Nico, man, it's just changed my life. Um, just having that first hour to kind of wake up slower 
to be able to read something to kind of sharpen my own saw before I jump into my day has has turned out to be really, really valuable. I've been recommended that book and I haven't uh, I haven't checked it out, but now I'm going to. That is fantastic. That was really good. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. I just finished Green Lights too. If you oh, read so that. good. The best so audio book of 2020, hands down. Best <laughs> yeah. audio book. I mean, Matthew McConaughey. <laughs> so much more than an actor. Who Doesn't knew? it? I mean, it, honestly, it feels like uh, Matthew read that book in the voice of the actor from uh, The Wolf of Wall Street that he embodied. <laughs> That's you hilarious. Know, like he just he wants to be there with that bit with that chest thumping spirit the whole book through. It's amazing. <laughs> oh, I love that book. Seriously. Awesome book. Yeah. Is there, you know, so I love that you share the um sort of the that you are actively pursuing new habits, like getting up at 5:30, which for me has always been a challenge getting that early. No screens in the morning is a super challenge. But is there, as you look back over your career, any particular habit or consistent practice that has had a, you know, huge yield in your life? Yeah. I, I'm kind of a fitness junkie. Oh yeah. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't do it quite honestly for the physical benefit. I do it for the mental benefit. I've practiced yoga for, oh man, 40 years, something like that. Wow. And, you know, run and weightlifting and all that sort of stuff. I, I tend to get bored with one thing after about six months and I transition to something else, but there's always an element of exercise in my life. You know, I find that we make excuses for uh, all kinds of things. I have three children. I'm, all, I'm often on the move and like even sort of finding, I used to find time for 30 to 45 to one hour long runs. And yet I can't find time to roll out a mat and do yoga, which I know categorically will help uh, my body. Uh, yeah. How do you train your mind to be consistent at something like yoga for 45 years? That feels to me like it's, do you feel like that's something that you are genetically, that just is how you're programmed? Like you said, you're from the work ethic from your mother and father, or is it something that you've had to work at? It's a matter of prioritization. For me, my workouts are as sacred as any meeting that I have with another person. It's, it's a meeting with myself and it's just as important. And so I don't bump it. I'm so glad that you shared that. I never can tell sometimes when I ask these questions if it's if it's pulling too hard on a specific thread. But for you to say that workouts are sacred, it's a meeting with myself, which is something no doubt we've heard on other podcasts or heard from other, you know, uh, from other wise voices. Um, for me, I feel like a lot in this conversation today is reinforcing some of the intellectual ascent that I have towards Habits that I still fail at times to activate, right? To be honest with myself about that need for the meeting with myself every morning. You bet. It's it's recommitment, you know, over and over and over again. Hey, we will all be works in progress till the day we die. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. So, M Michelle, as we as we round, we're like, uh, you know, 10 yards from home base here. I have a couple of really important questions. One of them is going to be how the Suncast audience can help. I feel like by way of asking that question, I'd like to go back to the moment in time where you and Hayes and Lyndon decided like, wow, we've got to do something about this because I believe there's a nugget in that story that has now informed kind of how you've structured what you call Give Partners. Can you tell me about Give Partners and how someone listening today wanted to uh, sort of become a part of that movement, they could. I learned a lot about corporate social responsibility during those years at Paramount Equity Mortgage where we were trying to stay alive. And we went and built that school in Mali. It made coming to work for our employees something bigger than just a paycheck. You know, they knew from then on, we made a commitment as a company that we were going to be funding these school projects. And so they knew when they came to work that they were contributing to something bigger than just the well-being of their own family. And that had much more impact than I had ever imagined in terms of creating loyalty with employees. 
as we started to share the fact that we were making those contributions with customers, we also learned that it was really important to them that all things being equal between us and another mortgage company, they might choose to do business with us because we were good corporate citizens and we're giving back. You know, we kind of observed that same benefit on steroids with the program at Solar City. You know, I would imagine out in the audience, there's a lot of people that were part of the Solar City family. And the fact that we were building those schools was meaningful to people. It was something that everyone took a lot of pride in. And so because we had learned the value of of giving back, both from a revenue generation perspective and a culture perspective, uh, when I joined the Give Power team, we started talking about how we could teach other companies to do the same so that they could enjoy those same benefits. My experience has been there is no shortage of amazing CEOs out there that want to do something like Give Back. But they either don't have the time to really figure it out or they don't have the teams to build out marketing assets and so on to support that giving. And so the Give Partners program at Give Power is meant to do just that, to provide a turnkey way that a CEO can say, yes, I would like to make an impact in others' lives by giving back. And then we we make it easy. We provide them toolkits so that they can launch the program effectively internally with their employees. Uh, We provide assets that they can share in their social media and implement in their websites and in their customer proposals and so on. At this moment, Nico, we have 91 different companies that have joined the Give Partners program and make contributions uh, to our projects on a monthly basis. I'm so unbelievably grateful and humbled to see such a movement, particularly, I I would say about two thirds of those are in the solar industry to see, you know, CEOs that compete fiercely day in, day out, out on the streets, kind of lock arms to do something good and meaningful for people who need our help. It's just an awesome, awesome opportunity every day to see that take place. Yeah. And, and again, I'll <clears throat> redirect folks to, uh, obviously our show notes will have links to all the social media channels, but I've found that the Twitter channel for Give Power does a phenomenal job of outlining sort of how they're making an impact in the world. Uh, givepower.org is the home base. Uh, one thing I love that I think you guys do amazingly well, you must have a great social media team, your Give Power LinkedIn page. You know, it's got a, a ton of followers, um, over, over 6,500, which is Oh, which is great traction, but your website is stunning as well. Um, I believe that it is givepower.org slash get dash involved. Is that the right place for folks to go if they want to look into joining the charge? Sure. Uh, you can submit an inquiry there. Or feel free to email me. I'm Michelle with one L at givepower.org. Fantastic. M-I-C-H-E-L-E at givepower.org is how you can reach out to Michelle. Michelle, I always like to end the conversation with one specific question. And that is, what one thing do you see happening in the market that maybe nobody else is tracking? What's your bold prediction? What's in your crystal ball? Well, Nico, I spend the majority of my days working on the water problem. And so it's something that I am just ferociously learning about. And as I mentioned earlier in our conversation, desalination isn't new, but it requires a lot of power. And so, unfortunately, the United Nations is forecasting that three and a half billion people will be experiencing water scarcity by 2025. You know, again, that's half the planet in just four short years. So I think the water issue, unfortunately, is going to be front and center for all of humanity. And I think solar can be a really big player in helping to solve the problem in powering desalination systems. Michelle McGee is the president of Give Power Foundation, where you can also help join the charge, as she calls it, resolving this uh, humanitarian crisis that we are no doubt in our lifetimes going to have to endure and we can uh, rise above we can help others around us rise above it through wonderful organizations like give power i hope that 
you've been inspired like I have today in this conversation with Michelle and that you'll reach out to her. Michelle, I am incredibly grateful for your time and indebted to you for the graciousness that you have taken to share so much wisdom with us. Thank you for being on Suncast. Uh, Thank you, Nico. All right, Solar Warrior, that is a wrap on today's episode. And I am awash with insight and really grateful for the time with Michelle. Thank you, Michelle, for sharing your wisdom with us. How's that for you? Did you learn something that you are taking away? What are those takeaways? If you're eager to keep learning, as you know, you can go check out the resources and highlights from this discussion and every other discussion, along with the social media links, book recommendations, and all the other ways that we left little brain droppings along the way. The breadcrumbs are all captured and collated at mysuncast.com. Just click on the the show notes page. Uh, I think that by now we've made it very easy for you right in the description there in your podcast app to click on the show notes page and go there. Uh, Another thing that I hope by now we've done is to put in the description the easiest way for you to reach out to me directly. If you've got insight or advice on who or what you think should be featured on Suncast, just shoot me a text. It's 310-634-1780. Of course, if you're out of the U.S., that's a plus one. That's 310-634-1780. It's a good old-fashioned SMS, and I promise you'll get a response from me. But if you're going to be hopping online, you can go to mysuncast.com. I'd love it if you would share this episode with someone else on LinkedIn or Twitter or however it is that you prefer to engage in social media. Mostly, I want to know, what did you learn from Michelle? Let's give Michelle some love. You'll find her contact information there on the show notes page. Uh, It really is a treat for us to hear from you. And Michelle and I, I'm sure, will uh, be grateful to know how this show resonates with you and what do you think about her story and who needs to hear it? Who else could help in the Give Power journey? One other thing that I wanted to add is that uh, Michelle didn't mention it, but the YouTube channel for Give Power is actually fantastic. It makes it easy to really visualize the way that they're giving power globally. And they've created some stunning visuals. They have a great uh, multimedia team over there. So I'd encourage you to check out their YouTube channel as well. That and our YouTube channel will be linked uh, in the show notes. Remember, every Tuesday and Thursday, we're right here bringing you Tactical Tuesdays, practical advice on how to uh, go deeper in your clean energy journey and career. I hope that you will continue to join us here. Thanks once again to our sponsors for helping make this content free to you. You can learn more about them as well as learn how you could partner with thousands of Suncast listeners over at mysuncast.com forward slash sponsor. Remember, you are what you listen to. Thanks again for showing up, Solar Warrior. It's half the battle. <laughs>